Welcome to the Super Hot Bad Guy Podcast, the place where we discuss the hot villains of any gender from any genre that includes crime, drama, action, adventure, romance, and good old horror. I'm your guest, Jason Buck. Markella Mac. No, wait, Markella Dykvis. I just got married in October. <laughs> still getting used to it. <laughs> we should probably leave that into the intro. <laughs> and I'm Eric Blake. I'm Natasha Baptiste. Woo. Okay, uh, so this is our third episode. We are focusing on Jim Moriarty from BBC's Sherlock. And Oh, you're all familiar. He's Jim to you, huh? Yeah. We just call him Jim around the house. Well, James and I go back a long time. Okay, so, okay. You've already set the precedent, Jason. Now you've got to talk in the voice the whole time. Do you do other voices? (laughs) None that I care to repeat. (laughs) Okay. Um, So let's start off with how I found Jason two days ago. So I heard um, of a... (sighs) Sherlock quiz happening down the street from me and I really wanted to go and take someone home with me that could um, guest mm. on our podcast tonight. Damn, that sounds hot. So I go, <laughs> I approached I'm Jason. I approached Jason because he was the guy with the microphone and the Sherlock hat because So I work for a company called Geeks Who Drink. Um, we are the biggest and best trivia company in the United States. And the reason we can get away with that is because we put on the same quiz at hundreds of different venues on the same night across the country. All over. That allows us to pay for a team of researchers and writers and fact checkers to make a really just the best, highest quality quiz you can ask for every single night of the week except for Friday. And what we do is uh, every month or so we put on a themed quiz, something that is just about one particular topic. And this month we chose to do a Sherlock theme quiz. It is our first Sherlock theme quiz. And I was luckily selected as the host. Very nice. That's awesome. Now, was it on the merit that you really liked the show and you asked for this? Or is everybody in, sorry, Geeks Who Drink or Nerds Who Drink? Geeks Who Drink. Geeks Who Drink. Is everybody in this familiar with who's versed in what? Right. So um, we have a, a regional manager and she kind of she has a sense as to what people are into to begin with. But then she'll reach out and she'll be like, hey, out of this selection of people, who's really into Sherlock? That's so who's cool. really into Star Wars? Who's really into Disney? We've got a Disney theme quiz. I think our next one is a Friends theme quiz. Oh, <laughs> Which I'm totally not into and so totally won't be hosting, but I might be there helping out. And Natasha is on that. If only there was a villain in Friends. Oh. Go scalp our next guest. It was Lisa Kudrow. <laughs> they, I was had a Geeks Who Drink coaster underneath my beer that I was enjoying while it was all going on. Okay, so uh, Natasha, what have you been doing lately? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, God. Okay, so I did a um, photo shoot with another salon I work with once or twice a week. So do you do the hair for the photo shoots? Yeah, so we, it was like a color contest, so it had to be all like professional, whatever, but I did the color and then like styled and then someone else did the makeup and then the owner just kind of used her camera whiz skills. I get so excited when you talk about that stuff. It It sounds so cool. It was super fun. And other than that, I've just been... Kind of boring work. 
Um, but with that, <laughs> were you doing a, like a creative color scheme? Or are you going for like a special effect with color? No, this contest was actually kind of boring. It was like their new line, red, and, white, and blue. Yeah, <laughs> it was like super oh like natural. Like, oh, this is our new natural line, so we had to do like a really natural everyday color. I envy. <laughs> I envy how that was pretty much it. Yeah. If my was... doctor tells me he will not treat me because of my paisley hair, I've got a well, problem. No, it's, it's more for, like, professionals, if you are the doctor. If you I go see. to a specialist because your kidney's failing, mm-hmm. you probably would have more confidence if they mm. did have, like, bright green hair. Or maybe you would have more confidence if they did. I don't know. But. I would like punk rock doctor <laughs> just as well. Yeah. Well, I, I did the opposite of you this month. I went through an entire ordeal and i'm going to try and keep this as as short as possible but basically at the beginning of this month april no april so in march today would be the beginning this of is, this month yeah, yeah. so we're recording this show on, is a joke actually <laughs> we're recording on april fool's day so let's see how long it takes me to edit this and um get it online You get to see how long it takes (laughs) for that to happen. So for the entire month of March, I had a a back issue, which kept me out of work. I had five separate injuries in a three, I guess a three week period and it's ongoing. I'm sitting in a chair right now with a pillow behind my back. I guess it it stopped me from doing Bernie Sanders stuff. Um, And yet I still did all of it. So I, it actually, it didn't start with Bernie Sanders. So a couple of Fridays back, um, I went to a Seattle Supernatural convention, but I only went on a Friday night free karaoke night that has a lot of the actors from the show doing karaoke and literally anyone can just walk off the street and go inside and have a good time with some actors, um, and they're very funny and very charming, and they put on a really wonderful show. I injured my back a little bit that night. So that weekend, Bernie Sanders held a rally, and I was the 15th person in line, and I sat in the first row. Anyway, so since then, it's been more of the same. I have horrible back issues. I'm in pain every day. I I've seen two doctors. I went to a chiropractor. So I'm seeing a chiropractor. I'm seeing a physical therapist. I went to the second Bernie Sanders rally and injured my leg. <laughs> I went to Greek Independence Day and I injured my back. Um. <laughs> a very important part of the story is that that's why this podcast is delayed a little bit. Oh, yeah. Back issues. Yeah, this this will probably come out late because we kept having to push it back because of uh, everything I just said. And politics. It's an election. And year, politics. You know? There's a Bernie Sanders barbecue happening tomorrow at Golden Gardens. Uh, my husband has forbade me from going because I keep getting hurt. Uh, Eric, how have you been? <laughs> I mean, I've been doing pretty well. No back injuries, so that's good. Yeah. I'm still working on the Stormtrooper armor that I mentioned last episode. It's coming okay. along. The company has finally sent us all the soft parts that you wear under the armor. Soft parts. Soft parts. Like a crab. See, most people get a wetsuit, but this company gave me pants and a shirt. <laughs> That are, like, kind of form-fitting. Just It's just got to be black. And because it's not a wetsuit, I can use the bathroom. <laughs> I can, like, I can oh, yeah. do a little bit more that the older stormtroopers aren't 
still can't do yeah. unless you cut a really invasive hole thinking. in your wetsuit. Yeah, because you have a thing yeah. covering anyway. It's just so a door with just, a latch. Like, Cut a hole in there. That's what I've told people to do. Go off the side, which is <laughs> my crotchless stormtrooper armor. Yeah, I mean, that's how you get the wetsuit and make it. Well, getting to today's. No, no, uh, wait. Character. How 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 is Jason doing? What well, have you so been doing lately? I got to host my very first theme quiz after 250 quizzes. Very uh, first solo theme quiz. I co-hosted yeah. the Star Trek theme quiz with two other people. So it wasn't really my theme quiz. This one was mine. Yeah. And so that was great, and it was very exciting. And then I uh, got very drunk with some friends and uh, woke up to a phone call telling me I was laid off from my job. <laughs> At Geeks Who Drink? No, 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 no. That's, as long as you're still in that. V- I mean. Very few people make a real living at Geeks Who Drink. I mean, our marketing director, our <laughs> editor, our writers, our researchers, all that. But we have a horde of, I don't know, probably thousands of quiz masters out there. And, and no, I, I think most of us do it as mostly a hobby. Now, my real job is as a software developer, and uh, they downsized our team from eight to three, and I was among the cuts. Do you have any prospects? Or are you... question. Did you like that job? I did like the job, but I am in the perfect market for what I do, so it, and I'm time. not I'm not concerned. Uh, so I think I'm going to spend, I don't know, at least a few days just having fun. Yes. It's yeah. perfect weather for that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not depressed about this. Good. That's so don't good. Be, yeah. So one of the first questions I had for you about Moriarty is actually about Professor Moriarty. Are you familiar with the Sherlock Holmes books and canon, as well as the show. Uh, I have read most of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's works. Um, There are a few short stories that he published in magazines that I haven't gotten my hands on, but it wasn't recent, so no, if you tried to really grill me on the facts uh, on those, I probably uh, wouldn't do so well. But yes, I am familiar. See, I was more just curious, because as I was researching for this episode, a few years back, when I was just bored... I went through all of the books, and I didn't actually make it to the magazines either. And then as I was researching for this, they talk about which episodes parallel which stories from the books. And I had only ever, watching the show, kind of kept that in the back of my mind, where, oh, this kind of reminds me of a story, but I couldn't, you know, I wasn't drawing that connection because I was just enjoying the show. I, I followed that connection pretty heavily, especially with a couple of episodes. Obviously, the uh, first episode, not counting the pi- the unaired pilot, <laughs> the first episode was uh, a study in pink, which, of course, mirrors a study in scarlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hounds of Baskerville, you can't really get away from, <laughs> you know. But I also like that in the first episode, they introduce our topic today, Moriarty, yeah. whereas... It wasn't until he was going to kill the character in the books that he first introduced Moriarty. And it's like, I need to develop a badass so bad he can kill my hero. I have a question about the books, actually. Are the, are all of the characters from the books, they're a little bit older than the BBC TV show characters, correct? I'm just assuming. Because when I picture Sherlock Holmes, I think of an older man. I'm not sure that's okay. explicitly called out in the books. Yes, okay. they're like kind of... Too, but I think it's because old. Just Sherlock. the older adaptations yeah. have him being an older, older man. Yeah. I think they have them at a good age in the show where you could almost be like, oh, late 20s, although Watson has some gray hairs, so he's definitely a little older in the show for yeah. sure. 
But, you know, you could say, like, late 30s to somewhere in that range. And in the books, it's kind of like that. They're a married man and doctor and a private eye about town. Like, they go for walks arm in arm. Like, they're not so old that they stay in. It is a little ambiguous on the age there. I congratulate BBC for not doing, like, an American CW type thing. They're young, but they don't look like teen bop underwear models well also they're not living in like this ridiculous ten thousand dollar no condo two two one b baker street of yeah. course <laughs> so actually that that calls out something that seems to seg into uh something that i think is worth uh mentioning which is after the bbc sherlock came out abc had executives that watched it and they thought it was a really great show duh And ABC approached the BBC and said, hey, we'd like to make an American version of this show. To which the BBC responded with a very concise, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, BBC. (laughs) But the story actually gets a little better because... After ABC or after BBC said that, ABC said, well, we we think we're going to go ahead and make a a Sherlock Holmes show anyway. Mm -hmm. And the BBC said, if it looks anything like our Sherlock show, we will sue your pants off. Wow. So that's why it is what it is. So they made Elementary. And I got to say, it's not as good as Sherlock, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it's a good show. And it's its own take on a modern Sherlock Holmes that... Doesn't resemble Sherlock in any way, shape, or form. I have heard that it is amazing from people who love BBC's Sherlock. I don't think I was actually pleasantly surprised at how good it was. And the whole the whole idea of Lucy Liu as Watson that's 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 just great. Great, yeah. We'll make exactly the the opposite of your Watson. Fine. Everything crazy, not crazy, but the more messed up girl that's kind of somehow entangled and working with him, like lives in his. Oh, spoilers, Natasha! I haven't seen it. (laughs) Well, no, I mean spoilers, sweetie. Long show. Spoiler until you get to know her, but like I, I just thought the characters were really feels a little bit like Sherlock, but nothing like Sherlock. Uh, Jim. I keep wanting to call him James Moriarty. Well, that's his name. Is it Jim? It, Jim, Jim is, is a for nickname James. for James. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then someone, I, I'm just gonna call him James Moriarty because I like that much better. So, uh, James Moriarty, what does uh, he look like? He's a short man. <laughs> he is a short man. I guess. I guess. I guess that depends on the portrayal. I don't think the books, the canon, give us much to go on, really. Uh, so it's really which rendition BBC's of the Sherlock story. If you're talking about BBC's Moriarty. I think uh, Andrew Scott is kind of non nondescript. There's not like a lot that really stands out he has about very him. Round he's a good eyes. old Irish he, boy, and he's yeah. got a very well, square face, and he's got this really big crease in his forehead that stands <laughs> out at me. So, but visually, he doesn't seem like he's too too tall or too short. He doesn't seem like he's he just seems right in the middle or in just about every short, category. He's a he's small man because he's also very. I wouldn't say thin. I would say more just petite. Because, yeah. I, I mean, everybody's tall to me. I'm 5'1", so I can't say, I can't speak to how tall or short he is, I guess I, guess. I would call him very unassuming. And that's yeah. what's great when he's playing, when he's pretending that he's an actor that Sherlock played to try and frame him later on. That guy is very unassuming. And it's only when he's really embodying the kind of chaos he wants to create. His eyes get big. 
He gets these really great facial expressions. He starts to freak you out right when he needs to. I think that the whoever was responsible for uh, laying out who his character was, I think that their their end goal was to create the <sighs> sexiest villain of all time. <laughs> because I can't seem to find much in his personality or appearance that says otherwise. And one of the things I noticed about his appearance is he'll switch throughout the series. He'll switch from wearing very tailored suits to wearing very casual clothes. And one thing that people, sometimes it's subconscious, and sometimes you know that this is something that you like about a person, so you'll you'll notice it. But say you see someone wearing a suit all the time, and then all of a sudden you see them like wearing a baggy sweatshirt, they just seem, if not more attractive, they at least suddenly seem like way more interesting and like fun to look at. So, and then it's the same thing with if you see someone wearing plain clothes all the time and then all of a sudden they're in like a really nice suit or just, or like a, a woman that suddenly is wearing a dress. They look so different. And Moriarty, he switches between suits and casual outfits all the time. Yeah. So to me, that was a big old, because I, is something that I pick up on, because I, I like that. I mean, he's an attractive dude. Mm-hmm. But like, well, when I was reading about, that's a funny question, because when I was reading like one of the pages on him that like, went really in depth, they're like, he's a short man. And then they were like, he's five. They're talking about Jim Moratti, but, or James Moratti, but they were using descriptors of the actual actor. I was like, you could just talk about him. <laughs> he's like, he's five, six and blue eyes. And blah, they actually blah. don't look and that like, much different. Um, But they don't make an attempt to make him look tall. Like, they don't undershoot him like (laughs) Russell Crowe. So, what it really... The the thing that it always comes back to for me is... First of all, I love villains. They've, They've always been what I've aspired to, even though my life may not reflect that. Right. Um, anything interesting. Right. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. But whenever you're whenever you're actually talking about somebody on the screen that you're watching, it almost never comes down to, wow, look at how pretty he is. Yeah. Because if you take away everything else, nobody's really that pretty. What it comes down to is charisma. Oh, yeah. What it comes down mm-hmm. to is how you embody a character and bring it to life and own it. Yeah. I have a quote for you. And it's true, because Sherlock and Watson are both kind of not bumbling in this show, but not socially graceful, whereas he has a lot more charisma than the two of them combined. So he bothered me a little bit with his singy-songy voice. A little bit. Uh, it took me some getting used exactly to. What you mean. He, it took me a little getting used to, but he pretty much became one of the greatest TV villains when he said his little bit about if you have what you say you have, I'll make you rich. If you don't, I'll make you into shoes. <laughs> Good lines. I think that he goes some places verbally that I wasn't expecting. But for the most part, especially the first scene where he's actually has himself, which is at the pool. I've watched that scene a couple of times now, and I'm still not over how... It's like you pretty much know what he's going to say, but the way he says it is like all the fuck over the place. 
and you you just don't expect the delivery that he gives. So I have a quote that you reminded me to read from Andrew Scott, which is the actor who plays Moriarty. He says, because Moriarty is very intelligent and playful, I had to rely on whatever playfulness is in me. I had a lot of ideas. I'd read the scripts hundreds of times, but then you just wait and see what happens and see what Benedict is going to do because I had to be a little bit unpredictable. I definitely got to try things that worked sometimes and sometimes they were really embarrassing. (laughs) So we definitely had a really good laugh. And when we, I can picture when that. we said we were going to do him in the last episode, I s- specifically said a very frustrating villain, because he's very frustrating. Uh, yeah. as, as somebody who can s- watch a movie and see where things are going very quick, this show I love because all of a sudden Moriarty will throw something at me, and I didn't see where it was going. So not just as a villain to Sherlock, but as a villain to someone who is used to sometimes very vapid plots. He's just perfectly frustrating. He was hands down my favorite villain. Even to the end, when they're on the roof and he's yelling at him. My favorite was when he was telling Sherlock how ordinary he'd become and how frustrated he was. And then all of a sudden he shot himself and I was like, that's the best villain. Oh, no, but you're missing the in-between. The in-between, he would never have shot himself if Sherlock was ordinary. It was when he came again to the fact that Sherlock and Moriarty are the same. Yes, no, that's what I mean. Like, when he, when they're on the roof and then Moriarty just, like, it clicks to him and you see it click and he's just like, oh, okay, you, you figured me out. Well, there's nothing left. And he was just, like, done with it. So, I do have a bit of a gripe with that episode and its successor, is in that episode at the very end, we very close up see Benedict Cumberbatch talking on the phone with Watson, uh, his suicide note via the phone. We see him moving around, all that sort of stuff. And right before he jumps, we even see him very blatantly toss the phone. And we're supposed to believe that was a doll. I agree. I look the other way yeah. for that episode because I, I just feel like... But I loved like, how they brought it back with all the conspiracy theories. And you can actually kind of pick your favorite. My favorite's when they kiss because it's just like, oh, this is so good. But like, Finish uh, the scene. Finish the scene. <laughs> exactly. But um, because yeah, I think you get to believe what you want to because maybe there's some secret he doesn't want to divulge about how that actually went down. That's why he's not telling the actual survival story of that. Didn't they did kind of leave it up in the air at the end of that episode when they were explaining? He never confirms anybody's yeah, theory. There's no there's the no way, absolute confirmation. The episode by the way. that we are talking about is the first episode of season 3 in regards to what happened at the end of season 2. Based on one of the last books of the actual series. So Sherlock tells tells the story, but we don't know that it's true. We don't know that he wasn't just making stuff up yeah. after the conspiracy theory versions of the story. So you were talking about Moriarty seeing that Sherlock is the same <coughs> as him. He's talking to Sherlock on the roof and like trying to... He does pretty much prove that he is actually smarter than Sherlock. Everything he's saying on that rooftop, I believe. I believe that Sherlock isn't as smart as him. Because he's proving it one by one, like one after the other in like a five minute period. I felt like they were kind of at the same level only because Morgan would appear as smart as Sherlock or is as smart as Sherlock because he has such a network. Sherlock is that's, himself. That's true. You're right. And he doesn't really have, he has himself and he has Watson kind of. I mean, Watson helps, but like Sherlock is himself. <coughs> figures 
things out and then he's just on his own way. And then... Whereas Mirandi has, like, all these teams of people that he can just go through. Sherlock doesn't have assassins on roofs. So I don't... I well, don't he kind of does. He has the homeless network. He does, but they don't work with him all the time. But I guess neither does Moriarty's people that he knows. But do you, do we ever hear in the show how exactly Sherlock has grown up? Has he grown up pretty much the way he is currently? No, uh, they have not really delved into anything prior okay. to the to the first episode. Because we know he has parents, and yeah. we've seen them, and we know and that I they knew he wasn't of, dead. I kind of got a sense that he grew up with <laughs> Well, the yeah, Mycroft. <laughs> was ever able to take away is that him and Mycroft, even if they weren't well educated, someone realized they were both geniuses. Yeah. yeah. And they received some kind of education yeah. where they were told some similar things and did their own things with that. Whereas Mycroft decided to work for the government, Sherlock didn't want to do that. So Moriarty mentions that he has been pretty much doing this his whole life. He's been wanting to not be bored his whole life. And he seems so natural with his psychoses, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's very but well also, acted. it was... He's just an interesting character, because he... The only reason why I don't think Moriarty is at the same level as Sherlock is because it's really easy to manipulate someone when you have their life. It's really easy to get them to do whatever you need them to do for your plan. You kill him at any moment. Even with the first lady when she's on the phone with him telling him, oh, I didn't say anything, I didn't say... And then you see the red dot. It's like, well, that's really easy when... Well, I guess he has a lot of time to think about it because as far as what the show says... It seems from the show that Moriarty has spent all of his time trying to devise all these things centered around Sherlock. And we've seen Sherlock be interested in finding Moriarty, but we also see him solving all these other cases and doing all of these other little adventures, too. That's a question I have for you, Jason. Because we do see how obsessed he is with Sherlock. Do you have any theories as to, like, why is he obsessed with Sherlock? Do you think... Well, I mean, because he Mycroft thinks he's as smart as, well. as him. Well, I think I think if you go back uh, here, we we have a limited. We have ten episodes and a mini episode preceding season three to go on from the BBC Sherlock. So I think you kind of have to go back to the source material a little bit for this and look at Arthur Conan Doyle. And I think it's really that Moriarty has found his only peer in the world. And here's something that Arthur Conan Doyle did very well that I think BBC's Sherlock sadly did not do as well is show that there was one greater than those peers. And that one greater was Irene Adler. That's like that it's like that in the books? In the books. She she's way smarter than Sherlock or Moriarty combined mm-hmm. actually. Well, I would say she's in the like- show if there was three smart people in the show, she is one of the three. Right. It's funny that the show really includes her, because in the books, she's more like the Calvin and Hobbes noodle incident. She gets mentioned, but oh, they never tell that story, because it's just, it's one of those things that you have to know about, there's something that he can never defeat, and they just don't deal with it, because it's too hard. And Moriarty is protecting criminals under Irene Adler, and he's also not at her level either. What I think what I think is brilliant about having the idea of Irene Adler being so far above both Sherlock and Moriarty is the fact that, that you get you take somebody that has basically all the attributes you respect about Sherlock and Moriarty 
that they're, you know, just brilliant and quick and observant and, you know, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then you make her sexy as fuck. And she isn't as flashy about it as either of them. Oh, yeah, she doesn't have... Hang ups. She just pride. does. Yeah, it. she just oh, wears she her. Just she just wears her armor. That's not flashy at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just. Oh, yeah. uh, Jason just uh, said that line and then looked way around the corner <laughs> and waited. I was, I was like, I thought she was kind of flashy with it. But... <laughs> okay, so I I took notes a long time ago, so I'm pretty sure I'm not directly quoting anyone when I wrote this down, but I wrote down, Moriarty believed he and Sherlock were the same even though they were opposites and thought that life was too boring to live, so he designed the most interesting suicide for Sherlock as a gift. He doesn't say my when he's talking about types of things in in that scene. He says our. So it's almost like he was putting everything in place and at the end of that scene, Mor- Moriarty shoots himself. He kills himself. And he Spoilers, also... sweetie. Well... Uh... <laughs> we might do a bleeped version of this episode. Yeah. Is that really a spoiler? That was the end of season two. Yeah. Well, it's a spoiler if you haven't watched the show yet. That's why the TV show spoiler is... I think that we should keep the most recent Christmas special as a spoiler. Since no. that was only a couple months ago. It's April. That was December. If okay, you're a well Sherlock then... fan, you've already seen it. If you're not, well, then you need to get started. Which negates being a spoiler yeah, anything season from season two. two. Yeah. Anyway, he basically, Moriarty's crazy, so he thought that since he and Sherlock were so similar, and he was going crazy just being alive uh, because it's all the same, he made the most interesting death for the both of them. And he, I guess, thought that Sherlock would, in his heart, think it was super cool. Despite what he may say out loud. So I'd like to go back to one of the first things you said there. You described Sherlock and Moriarty as opposite. But I think actually part of the point of Sherlock and Moriarty is they're not opposite. They're they're barely on either sides of one line. I said they were the same yet opposite. but Right, but... Because he's on the side of the angels. Yeah, they both. Well, that's what he said. They They're both, both on their own, but side, they both right? and they both kind of bounce back and They're forth. Both they both own. go over that line. I feel like They're really self-serving. At first glance, Sherlock seems like a hero, but if you really look into the show, like he's not doing it to really save anyone. He's doing it for his own self-gratification. Like it's, it's true. It's his own pedestal that he keeps putting himself on every time he solves a case. Especially it has nothing to do with. Especially in this BBC version, Sherlock is not exactly the hero type. He's no. very selfish he's and he's very... Awesome. And yeah. conversely, yeah. conversely, Moriarty isn't killing anybody because he hates people or has wants people dead poor. or any of that. Yeah, it's just part of playing the game. The, the They're both thing, just playing the game. That's yeah. the point. Mm-hmm. The great thing about Moriarty is that he's not killing people with boast either. It's you don't know how many people he's has in his back pocket or that he's really killed other than the people you've seen on the show. The night and he admits like some of his killings aren't that clever. Yeah. And I I mean, they kind of started off they let you know about his first kill with the whole framing and everything with Sherlock, but I like how they are so similar. It's just they chose completely different paths. 
they are very much the same. Moriarty just saw, like, I can make a lot of money pretty much working with criminals in a very clever way that suits my needs. And then Sherlock was like, well, I can make a lot of money or not, but I can put myself on a pedestal, so I'm going to go this way. I think they're both geniuses, but Sherlock had a lot of money. And their jobs their jobs are identical. Yeah, they're completely the same, except the thing that I really liked about the roof scene was how Moriarty explained how the way that makes them different was so frustrating is that Sherlock does have some form of empathy. He does know how to recognize it, whereas Moriarty just doesn't. He just doesn't care. You can kill his best friend. He doesn't care. He can go. He'll live his life. He'll be fine. I'll make whereas, another best friend. Yeah. Whereas when it came to killing Watson, it was like, oh, wait, what? No, can't kill Watson. Like, he's, he's mine. Well, and so that's that's actually something that's uh, maybe worth uh, approaching as well. Watson and Sherlock. In fact, maybe that's what separates Moriarty from Sherlock is Moriarty has no Watson. Can you imagine Moriarty giving the toast at, at Watson's wedding? I can't. No. He just, he's not capable. It would be really creepy and great. I don't think... And you almost think Sherlock's not capable, and then he does it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that Moriarty is capable of doing much other than what we've seen him do. I think that is what he can do. Uh, from Based on what he describes about how he feels about life, I think that's the only thing that, that he can handle is what he, he does. So I can see why he's going crazy and wants to um, commit suicide because if doing the extreme things that he that we watched him do is still boring to him, then I guess he needs to go... <laughs> that was mean. I shouldn't say that. But you see his obsession grow to the point that when he's talking about how, you know, using our, like he said, instead of, you know, my or your, he really sees them as the same. But you know that he's intelligent enough that he knows how obsessed he is. So he knows when he picks the words our, he's expressing that subtly in a very sinister way because he wants to get Sherlock to kill himself. I, I One of the things that I like about Moriarty is you don't get to know what his motivations are, so you can come up with your theories. Me, I think that maybe because him and Mycroft, Sherlock's brother, they also have a rivalry going. Yeah! And you, it's apparent, and also Mycroft lets him go. Like, there's something going on there that I almost think maybe all three of them had the same benefactor as youth or, or something that goes back really far for all of them. Or they but, all had the same turning point, but took it a different way. I like to believe that the strings are being pulled by Irene Adler. That would be great. I feel like Sherlock is actually the median between Mycroft and Moriarty. Both M names. And Sherlock, because he is sort of that lawful neutral where he wants to fuck shit up and pump his own ego... But he also knows his brother's in the government and they'll fucking whack him if he was to go criminal. So he doesn't break the law. In, Instead, he helps. But only because of that. In Irene's episode, she they they have a whole conversation. I think it's her, Mycroft, and Sherlock. And they talk about how Moriarty has been in contact with both of them. With both Irene and Mycroft. And I always thought that was weird. Unless I missed something. Because... Sherlock is trying to find Moriarty and stop him from what he's doing. And yet his brother and this lady that he's also 
having connections with are just like talking about him like it's no big deal. And what you never see, but you come to understand is that Mycroft does have dealings with the underworld because he gets information from somewhere that Sherlock only gets from the underworld. And because Moriarty is who he is, he gets that from the underworld too, whether it's stolen from other government agencies. Maybe they always knew that he wasn't as big of a threat in the bigger picture. On the grand scheme of things, like... Moriarty doesn't really do anything that would put, that would make his brother, who's like high up in government, kind of uneasy. It's not like he's really a terrorist or anything. He's just kind of doing these little, really intricate, small bit crimes. Well, so that's kind of an interesting idea to me. Like, if I were going to Hollywood right now and proposing a new show, I would say, let's do 24 meets Sherlock. Mm. (laughs) I didn't see 24. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. In, it's I intense. Was, yeah. I, was I don't know if I want to say it's good or bad or anywhere in yeah, between, I was, that's why I but was it like, was intense. After like the second season, you're just like, this cannot happen in one day. <laughs> like, you're just, you're not that important of a dude. Like, how did you even get married and have kids? This is, how is it in one day? Every year, you don't get... don't that what? But so I, I guess that's I guess spoilers because I didn't see it. I guess I guess that's where I find that twenty four was lacking. It didn't have one really solid answer to Jack Bauer as a villain. Oh, yeah. right. So you had Jack Bauer, who was our Sherlock in a yeah. sense, a very different. They sense. needed a Moriarty. But it's a, they needed a Moriarty, right. and they never had one. They it's never had it. Different. Yep. You want to yeah. hear why I didn't watch twenty four? Why? Because. He didn't look like his baby-faced self from The Lost Boys. I knew oh she was going to be a Lost Boys. I love The Lost Boys. God, we should Yeah, it's weird how you oh, we age love. over the course of like, <laughs> you know, 20 years. Shit. I love The Lost Boys. I've always thought Donald Sutherland was hotter. He's so hot. He's just, mm-hmm. he's just a badass. He is. Oh my gosh, when I he talks. I feel like if you walk into a bar and talk to you, you'd be like, I, just I don't fall. care that you are 20 years older than me. I'm 20? 30? Donald Donald Sutherland? 30? 40? 50? <laughs> so think of Kiefer Sutherland yeah. and think of how old his dad is. No, I was thinking of Kiefer Sutherland. Oh. We're talking about Donald yeah. Sutherland. Oh, Kiefer's older about... too, but his, yeah, his father's... Yeah, I think Kiefer's pretty smoking too. You should see his dad. For that's that's for what this has come to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of his father, Donald? I don't remember what he was. He was in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Okay. And he one was of in the Salem Invas- Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake in the 80s. The made for TV movie Merlin. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I loved Merlin. Okay. Right. right. Not the Sam Neill. Or was the Sam, yeah, Sam Neill one? one? Yeah, yep. it was the Sam yep. Neill one. Oh, that was good. Sam Neill. I remember in high school, like, every year they'd make the Hallmark like, specials. Yeah, like, yeah. And they were fucking dope. That was yeah. the, really, that was the only one that my parents were like, we're renting that. Merlin, totally Merlin was the best of them, but there Merlin were several was good ones. So, oh, the, yeah. His dad? Yeah. That, too. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. Even, yeah. like, even more so, right? I mean, yeah. Now, now that I know. Yeah. <laughs> now that I can put a face to that I don't think Kiefer yeah. improved on it, the formula. He can just do that voice and then... Buffy, you good. and I are one. One what? Cute couple? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> much rude or anything. What a homeless. <laughs> it's a good movie. Well, let me ask you quick about Moriarty. Like, what I think it is sexy about Moriarty... I'm going to ask you all what you think is sexy about him. For me, what's sexy about Moriarty is... You never know where he's coming from. To me, he is like putting a blindfold on with your lover where you're like, 
oh, I kind of know who's doing this, but it could be anybody, like, in my imagination. So that's why Moriarty is so frustrating. Even some villains during the show, you're wondering, maybe they're working with him, maybe not. Some of them mention that they are. Some of them you get hints that they are. And he's part of this criminal underground, but you never know who he controls. And I find that sexy in the in the same way as a blindfold. It just gives that the unpredictability. And, you know, he wears a suit pretty well. He wears yeah. a suit pretty well. I like how you can't really can't really put a pin in him. Can't put a I finger feel on like it. if I saw him walking down the street, I'm like, are you angry or are you just content? He and looks like a resting. He looks angry all the time. Resting right? Irish face. And he yeah, also looks like he has an angry sex face all the time. Angry. It's always like, angry sex face or just plain angry. Which just brings you to another level. Like I don't feel like he would be gentle ever. No, no, but that's like, what's weird about him. A, a gentle I honestly feel like because he plays those characters, his little pretend characters that he does, but he's acting on purpose. Yeah. So the way when he's like going crazy and changing his him when he ugh. Well, I mean, ladies. And I feel because So you've seen him try to freak like, You've that. seen him try to freak Benedict Cumberbatch out. Cumber Cumberbatch. Oh my god. You've seen him try to freak Benedict Cumberbatch out. Do you think he would try and freak you out the same way? Like crazy facial expressions like during? No. Okay. I, I feel like I took a note while I was watching the show. I said, he seems into sex, but everything is really boring to him. So what kind of sex wouldn't bore him? Mm. And then I put a lot of question marks. <laughs> I feel like it would be the same as in real life. He would play a role. I and feel he like would just have to meet his match. I feel like sex would be too boring for him. Well, I feel that. But yeah, he I, talks about I it almost in every line. Him being sexual at all, even just watching the show, seeing his personality, I cannot imagine him trying. Because it would be boring. It would be he can't he can't even handle doing that. I feel like that's sort of true of Sherlock too. I think it goes on both Mm -hmm. sides of it. So it was I thought one of the most awkward scenes ever for us to see Sherlock kiss Molly. Yeah. It was very forced and yeah, intentionally so. Because he's, yeah. he's always, you know, like, he's being defensive about not being gay with Watson, but also he's, like, very asexual, just, like, brushing Molly off yeah. from ep- from episode one onwards. You're just I like, can't remember oh, what there's... was the context of him kissing Molly, because did, did was, so, was that coming from him completely wanting to do that? No, he okay. was, he had finally surmised, I think... My take is he'd surmised Moriarty's plot and he knew he needed Molly's help to defeat Moriarty. And Molly had made it very clear that she was interested. And I think he just kind of played along enough to get her to come on board. But wasn't there sexual tension between him and um, the, the girl? Irene. Irene? Yeah. Wasn't well, kind of like- well he, actually, that's it's played- like an intellectual tension. That's, that's yeah. played up in most renditions of the story. in love with her mind. Yeah. And he in the in the episode he kind of acts like genuinely n- not nervous around her but he shows attraction in like yeah. the way he talks and like how he acts. I just can't see that ever with him. Sherlock is kind of a psychopath where, you know, he only understands emotions to a certain level where when he he understands that Molly's attracted to him wants to make a family i'm sorry I feel like Molly i'm sorry him. i'm sorry high functioning sociopath do your homework <laughs> do your homework sociopath. yeah our homework is right on our cell phones 
I have my homework in my hand right now. But yeah, so he understands that because she likes him, there are things that he can get her to do. Molly loves him. And I feel like he's operating under that kind of motive. It's still, it always feels very asexual. It's very, uh... So I guess, in a way, I kind of take back the idea of Moriarty actually having sex with someone because episode three of season two, he's in court, he's being jostled around. There's a female that's like kind of up really close to him and he super i mean everything he does is very sexual which is weird to be kind of certain that he wouldn't actually sleep with anybody because it would be too boring but he has her reach into his pocket and give him some gum and it's like he sticks his tongue out and everything and it's like really hot it's very oral so i feel like he can do things like that but i still am not sure if he would actually be interested in doing anything besides those things that he does and the things that he says so i suspect that he would like exerting control and dominance Mm. So I well, mean, yeah. So when he's doing al- that with the gum, he's just doing oh, that for fun to mess with her. And I don't know if he gets anything out of that besides, isn't it cool that I can do this? That's his living. Well, no, I feel like for him, like even that, it would be boring if he thought of it in a one-lane way. He would have to set up, like he would have to have control for the entire situation. Like you're trying to think hypothetically if Moriarty would try to have f- fuck. Yeah. Try to have fuck. He, he, <laughs> he was gonna, he was gonna fuck with, a chick. With, it wouldn't be like this rundown one nighter, or it, it wouldn't just happen. This plan wouldn't take place in a night. This would be something that he would plan out. Oh yeah, excessively. Like your whole family's life is riding on and the, you and, riding. And it wasn't on the sex that was me. the gratif- gratification. It would be this entire plan that he had methodically. Right. So I imagine Moriarty taking somebody who. Is is held in high esteem and regard, you know, maybe above, you know, you imagining them having anything humiliating happening to them. Creating an elaborate set of circumstances in which Moriarty controls this person without ever having touched this person, but then Moriarty gets to lick their face. Yeah. And there's nothing well, they can so do. So framing, framing Sherlock is so his... Where they haven't met. His like, intercourse is framing people and getting them under his power. That's right. just what he enjoys. That's you know, there thing. are people like that out there throughout history, and I know that TV shows like to do a lot of that, like, oh, this is symbolically making love or, or, oh, this is symbolically dying. This is what this character does. But I feel like, yeah, in Moriarty's case, if he is as crazy as he presents himself, then that metaphor is very literal. And Moriarty is based on real criminals who I was, having read their stuff, so the book Moriarty is actually just a very practical character. Whereas BBC Moriarty is very psychotic and unpredictable, more Heath Ledger Joker. And <laughs> oh, I wrote down Joker. I was like, he's so Joker. It's, there's a real similarity there to the... Well, the he's actually the kind of a middle ground between the Joker and the Riddler. Basically, like, just... I com- agree. Just charming enough. <laughs> more, more charming than Heath Ledger Joker. And more, like, presentable. But um, that, that whole idea of, in the book... He's very withdrawn. He's just controlling people for the sake of it. And he's introduced to, you know, try and give some good ending to the story. In this show, they want to make him a real counterpoint to Sherlock, who is also very controlled, but uh, doesn't get any joy. When he controls people, he wants them to help his goal. 
versus Moriarty wants to control them because that's his goal. So Sherlock actually seems to have a vested interest in people appreciating how brilliant he is. He wants to walk into a room, make all these deductions that nobody could possibly make, and go, gosh, aren't you impressed? <laughs> you know, but Moriarty doesn't need that. He needs Sherlock to be impressed. Just Sherlock. He doesn't care if everybody else in the room is impressed. Because they're stupid. Quotation they're beneath. Marks. They don't matter. That's like the crazy thing is that he needs... It would have to be in a way <coughs> where Sherlock would be like, oh. But Sherlock isn't your normal dude And he either. wouldn't do that. So... But he does do that in that episode when they're on the roof. I watched it today while I was doing my hair. Um... <laughs> Moriarty, I think, two or three times is like, no, you you idiot. You didn't do it right. And Sherlock has this look on his face that's like, oh, man, I'm confused. Like, he, he froze his brow and he squints his eyes and he's looking at Moriarty like, Moriarty, like, wow, you really got me. I'm caught. I don't, un- you're right. I don't understand. And Moriarty's saying, you didn't get it. You, you're messing it up. You're not, I'm so disappointed that you're not as smart as me. And Sherlock is just looking at him back and everything in his face is saying, he's like surprised that it's true. <laughs> Except that as the plot turns out, he'd figured it out all in advance, all 13 yeah. possibilities mm-hmm. and arranged accordingly for all of them. You know, That's yeah. true. That is the, the twist surprise at the end. Do things kind of twist though after Sherlock and Homegirl you kind of saw them are we talking about Molly there we no not Molly Irene oh, Irene Adler Irene. That was my confusion. I was like, come on, there's only two girls in the show. I really, you gotta nail it down more than homegirl. They're both kind of British. Well, Molly we already established was just like a kind of a pawn, but like, Irene was never really a pawn. No. And I feel like she's the only thing that really connects either one of them. But she was the one person that you actually saw any type of romantic emotion from Sherlock. He's not a sexually driven person. He's no. very into your he, mind, yeah. how your mind works. Be, but on a whole other level, too, it's not just like me to be intelligent. She's not just intelligent. Like, she's incredibly, like, wealthy as well. Like, and she and creates problems he likes to solve. Where that he can understand. Was she, like, their one love interest? I feel like she would be the one person that they would be, like, uninhibitedly. I think she is the only thing that has ever been close to a love interest for Sherlock. And, and it's, it, again, it doesn't come down that he wanted to bang her. Mm-mm. I mean, that wasn't what it was about. No. She is his female Female counterpart. She is his sexual Moriarty. And she yeah. was. Whether she sex said, is involved or not. She yeah. said that she had feelings for him. And so I think that's actually one of the things that fascinates me in this show is that particular introductory scene when she's wearing her battle armor. Yeah. <laughs> And as an actor, like, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch did a a really amazing job of handling, like, because in that scene, the most important thing as an actor is to control where your eyes are. And with that beautiful woman naked in front of you, it would be so hard to exactly control your gaze in exactly the way that he did. He's a very good actor. And he did so good. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it's the perfect point to say. Earlier, I said Cumberbitch by accident. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize that that's what you said. Fans of Benedict Cumberbatch are referred to as Cumberbitches. And I totally slipped. It's just, it's one of those phrases that's out there. 
Alan, who creates all of the visuals for our, our podcast and is the benefactor for everything that is our podcast, he always refers to Benedict as Benabatch Cumberbun. He, he has all kinds of different like Benabatch Cumberbatch Batch. Yeah. But he, he, it's because he doesn't remember his name, so he legitimately will just throw a bunch of words. Throw syllables out there. I mean, I know that's the joke, but... um, So I feel like I should have done a little bit more research now, because, Natasha, you were talking about... You were trying to create, like, an incubator scenario for how Moriarty would actually have make love to someone. So I wrote down a number. There are 10,002 works of... Fan fiction that includes Moriarty on the most popular fan fiction website on the internet, which is Archive of Our Own. And so I guess I should have at least skimmed through (laughs) some of the plots for these stories because I guess there's possibly 10,000 ways for Moriarty to have sex with someone since most fan fiction is just porn. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess everybody has their own theory. I just could never see it. I'm very much okay with the fact that I can't see him fucking anybody. I'm, I'm fine with it, too. And I... It doesn't stop really me from well, I, <laughs> thinking I, about it. I like the theories behind it, but I'm really just okay with him. With his whole mindset being, I want to fuck shit up because well, I'm bored. I think, I think that brings up an, another interesting question. Let's pull it back just one stage. Maybe this isn't about fucking. Can you imagine who Moriarty would actually fall in love with? Nobody. Can he feel love? Well, well, if you're talking the Sherlock's Moriarty, I kind of agree. But there's been lots of presentations of Moriarty throughout the years. And I, Star Trek The Next Generation had an episode, uh, two episodes. One called Elementary Dear Data, but the one that's more relevant... Oh, Elementary Dear Data is so good. Well, the one that's more relevant... <laughs> Holodeck to- episodes forever. <laughs> the one that's more relevant to what we're talking about was called Ship, of, Ship in a Bottle. Moriarty pretty much did everything he did in that episode uh, for uh, a Lady Bartholomew. He was deeply in love with her, and pretty much everything he did in that was driven by his love. And he was brilliant in the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, he used that intellect to completely own the situation, or so he thought right up until the end. But did it they was get all the same actor to play Moriarty in both episodes. Yes, they did. Oh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, killing it again. <laughs> I will say in the first, in uh, Elementary Dare Data, he is presented as a hyper-intelligent being where the AI creates him and they create him to be so intelligent that he can counteract Data. Well, specifically, that's the instruction they give. They say to the Enterprise computer, create an opponent that can best and that's why Commander Data. That's why Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote Moriarty. He wrote him to counteract Sherlock, and if you're going to write a good Moriarty, that's what he does. And in Star Trek, this had consequences, because (laughs) it was such a good AI that it gained self-awareness immediately, almost immediately. It's just like, wait a minute, I'm a genius? And then... Starts fucking up the shit. It's right, crazy. so this is basically like you turn on your PlayStation 3 because you want to play a game. You tell your PlayStation 3, I want an opponent that can beat me. But the consequences of that are that a ship full of 536 people are now in danger of dying because your opponent has bested you. In the books, do they does it go in depth on Moriarty? On like his more than life? more so than the, fir- the TV the, show? The first yeah. time that he appears, he actually is given a lot of 
vagueness, I would say. The first time he appears is the story where they want to kill Sherlock Holmes, and he appears in stories that were written later that take place before. Because I think he realized, this is a good character, because you can create these situations. And they already knew that when they made Sherlock. They knew, it's like, hey, if you get Moriarty in on this, he can be a very good villain for you. He can be played by Andrew Scott. Why not? Mm. (laughs) Why not Andrew Scott? From the perspective of the books, really, all we ever see is what Sherlock sees and what Watson sees. You only see what Watson sees. Yeah, you you technically only see what Watson sees, but Watson certainly gives you a view of what Sherlock sees. But you obviously never see anything from Moriarty's perspective. You basically see a guy about Sherlock's height, and they're struggling (laughs) in the distance. And he's like trying to get up there and then they fall. And then you don't know what happens. Um, do we have, so I have a bunch of statistics that I jotted down and then a couple of, um, quotes and things like that. Do you have anything else to add to the general morality stuff? Because there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about with the, the Christmas special. Jason, I'm going to give it to Jason for closing points on Moriarty. Uh, I don't know that I have anything that we haven't already, uh, discussed. The question I would throw out to you are what other Moriarty representations have you thought about, uh, we, I believe, saw Moriarty in the Sherlock movies, but I didn't particularly like those, so I don't really remember. Where else have we seen Moriarty? There is the Moriarty version in the American Sherlock Holmes films with um, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, that's what I was what I was saying in the films. Oh, and we saw Moriarty in Elementary. Oh, I don't know anything about that. What is yeah, it like there? It's with, I guess we can't really... Can we talk about it? Is yeah. it a spoiler? I don't care. I feel like the Moriarty Spoilers character... if you have not seen Elementary, but um, are thinking about it. Um, With the girl that you ultimately find out was, like, in a fucked up situation. You don't really know. They don't really, like, go into true depth. They just do little by little, but that is... is she a... was... Is think, Moriarty kind of a like girl? She was... No. The girl was, like... Why are you saying like... she? Because she was, like, the victim <laughs> of Moriarty. Like, okay. she, she was kidnapped. She was tortured and she ultimately escaped. as someone who, that hasn't seen elementary i have no idea what you're talking about and so he ends up coming back and it becomes this whole thing where she wants to disappear where she ends up basically they're trying to help her i take it basically yeah. i think what you're being told is watch the damn show <laughs> no i wanted to know it's got good actors i wanted to know what moriarty was but it in this show moriarty isn't the nemesis to the sherlock in elementary no. No, in it's fact, the me- nemesis to the girl. I think we've said spoiler alert enough times, but I would say right now, at least in the show, Sherlock's nemesis would be his father, or the closest thing he has to a nemesis. The uh, Mycroft, his father. I don't know. You can go either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, so what? What other portrayals not. am I leaving out? There's got to be more portrayals. I don't know. Was there ever a Sherlock episode of Doctor Who? There um, should have been. It's I'm bit, sure there the, were. I mean, the show's I'm been sure. around for fifty something years, right? There are Sherlock. How can there be just one is my question. Right. There's got to be at least right. two Sherlock episodes that. There are Sherlock adaptations from the 80s and the 70s and the... There's a wishbone Sherlock Holmes. Uh, yes, there is. There's a dog Sherlock. But there's so no we... Moriarty in that. How did, it's, are you... it's Hound of the Baskervilles, of course, because he's <laughs> a... I see. And it, he's a dog on and drugs. And it's a novel, too. <laughs> I just pictured like a Moriarty dog. What would he be? Okay, so instead of instead of the food (laughs) dish, 
<laughs> Instead of the food dish this week, would Moriarty, what dog would Moriarty be? Oh, I don't Cocker know a lot Spaniel? of dog breeds. No, yeah, I just I threw that name breeds. out there. Um, yeah. Let me think. Food so or no dog? Sh- okay. Uh, uh, I would say lasagna. I feel weird. <laughs> <Do> you- yeah. <laughs> Because of all the layers and the spices. Oh. oh, so spicy. Lasagna you can make either really bad or really delicious. I think I'm going to make lasagna when I get home. But <laughs> you can make lasagna really good or really bad. You're going to make lasagna when you get, get home tonight? And that's how I, I went I think I'm going to buy Stouffer's. I'm... It's 11 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock dinner. at night. I came here straight from work. So I, I guess I'm... I, let me just double check what the question is to see if I understand. What food is Moriarty? We accidentally... Food and or dog. We Food accidentally. We accidentally. Well, he's an- obviously a Scottish Terrier. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question, in our first. Although he is Irish, he could be an Irish Wolfhound. In our he's first- much bigger than he appeared. Like maybe he's an Irish Scottish oh, Terrier. Irish to answer your question, in our first episode, we accidentally came upon reasoning for uh, food that would describe Freddy Krueger, so we have had to continue that uh, tradition. Yeah. All right. Well, then, Moriarty <laughs> to me is Spanakopita because it's far more layered than lasagna. Oh. Get me there. That's a little fancier. I don't know. I guess for me, like, he would be sea urchin because you're just punishing yourself to pursue it. Oh, my god! Like, you've got to fucking develop this taste. Like, it's going to hurt you. That's good. Sea urchin lasagna. Oh, my God. That sounds horrible. Sea urchin spanakopita. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest, I just didn't know how to pronounce that or I would have. Spanakopita. Spanakopita is basically. It's not. So, first of all, it's pronounced spanakopita because I'm Greek and spanakopita (laughs) is Greek. And it's basically layers of phyllo dough um, that's brushed Mm, with olive oil. Mm -hmm. And then you mix it with, it's cooked down spinach Mm. with... I don't really recall the spices, but you can mix and match, and it's basically spinach with with feta cheese. Mm, Is it more layered than baklava? Pretty much. That's pretty much it. But what's the important thing to take home about what spanakopita? Spanakopita. It's just a T instead of a D. The important thing is to realize that whether you use some people use olive oil. I have actually met a real Greek Italian. A real Greek. That used I'm a real Greek. Butter. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> olive oil tastes like butter, and if you make pancakes with olive oil instead of butter, it tastes way more like butter than than if you use butter. Right. So anyway, what I'm getting at that I feel you left out is that for each bite of Spanakopita, there is a precisely one metric fuck ton of butter. <laughs> now, that's a metric fuck ton and not an imperial fuck ton. It's important that you make that distinction, and you will gain yeah, 732 pounds. <laughs> from that bite. That sounds because, pretty good. Because the layer of the, what is it called? Spanakopita? No, no the, the pastry. Filo. It's like thin as fucking paper. So oh, you have yeah. to it's like It's so hard to work with too. You have yeah. to like, so, so you have to like. Fun put, to eat raw. So is it more, yeah. so is Moriarty you, more Spanakopita or baklava? Because he's got that sweetness like sweetheart. Nah, he's not that sweet. I was going to go for like visuals he, and just say. And baklava just, is sick sweet. It's ridiculously yeah, sweet. It, and he's, he's, he's just not that sweet. I think you can get it at Cherry Street too. It's really delicious. The best baklava is actually a salty, buttery flavor. I agree. I would say Moriarty is more of an Oreo because he wears suits. <laughs> <laughs> that it just what? just makes him seem so black and white. I don't yeah. know. But he wears what a cookie. Suit. 
He looks good in his suits. I didn't realize how short he was until I read it. I'm sick of a sea urchin. <laughs> All right, I have some statistics. Um, so I left you and Eric to take your Moriarty research to everywhere else online, and I basically just stuck to Tumblr because I knew that there was like it was a fertile ground for Sherlock <laughs> stuff. So I came across quite a few. So I mean, I, Sherlock has been around for a couple of years, but still, the amount of notes that some of these Moriarty posts had. So if you're not familiar with Tumblr, a post is the the information that you present on the website. A note counts for somebody favoriting the post or sharing the post or replying to the post. So some of these Moriarty posts have up to 75,000 plus notes on them. Like one of them was like, I just wrote down one has 71,645 notes for, and it was just a picture of him holding a gun. So he's very, he's a very popular villain. I found Tumblr blogs that were, there was two or three Moriarty confession blogs. So people will write in their confessions and some of them were not safe for work confessions. Some of them were very sweet. Okay, that's all my statistics, <laughs> my quote unquote statistics. But um, there was a lot of, so there's a lot of um, meta that people will do on Tumblr where they basically will talk about, they'll basically type up what we're doing right now, which is how we feel about characters and like their theories, I guess, and stuff. So I grabbed two little quotes that I found. One of them is um, from a Tumblr blog endlessanalysis.tumblr.com and she said or he actually I didn't check on the sex of either of these people so they said I find Moriarty endlessly charismatic how he is never predictable how a person is so physically unimposing can be so magnetic he's blindfold (laughs) How he can talk about people dying without batting an eyelid. The new sexy is being free of established norms and... uh Uh-oh, I don't know that word. Oh, preconceptions. (laughs) Um, Being being unpredictable and Moriarty definitely fits into that mold. He keeps us guessing about him, about his next move, about his intentions and motivations. Okay, so that was from Endless Analysis. So can I just interject here for a sec? Uh, The the thought I just had, and this Mm. had never really occurred to me before, uh, Sherlock... And the BBC show makes a point of correcting somebody when they call him a psychopath and saying he's a high-functioning sociopath. Perhaps is that the dividing line between Sherlock and Moriarty? Because is Moriarty a, a psychopath? Because I always thought of Sherlock as a psychopath. Because Moriarty's he's a, a psychopath from no. emotions. Moriarty's yeah, a psychopath. Sherlock is a sociopath. Yeah, yeah, he's a sociopath. Yeah, a high-functioning like, one. But no, it's, sociopaths they it. aren't they immune to empathy? Like that's Sherlock's, Sherlock's yeah, weakness some... too point of that so he's not really he does sociopath. but i would still consider i think you're dead on with that yeah um, it's, it's, it's something i never thought of until i just heard you saying that i was reading but about i like it moriarty they're saying that he was psychopath he was a psychopath but he was also he's a sadistic psychopath yeah that's what they kind of like well because i mean if you think about it he says that nothing is interesting to him and it's his whole life's plight he's been like this forever and 
sadism is probably the most exciting thing to someone that finds life boring. But I think it's Like the Marquis de Sade. It has nothing to do with what he's doing as an adult. It said everything as a child. Someone laughed at him. He killed that person. He kept their shoes. Mm-hmm. His entire life. So that he can ultimately frame a person he... How did he even hear about Sherlock Yeah, he Holmes? has the, From real, the, papers. the no. real lack of human emotion. Whereas yeah. Sherlock has this, like, disconnect with human emotion. Yeah. But under, not a lack of it. Just With Sherlock, misplaced. it almost feels like... He kind of has a social disability, whereas Moriarty is, has nothing to do with that. He has a humanity disability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and like, so, so again, that kind of grounds in what I'm suggesting. The difference, the fine line Sherlock and Moriarty walk is that Sherlock is more a sociopath. He doesn't feel really the empathy or the emotion that everybody else does. He understands it, though. Whereas Moriarty he is a psychopath. Sherlock understands care. the importance of yeah, it. Yeah, Sherlock is still obliged to people. You really nailed it there. Like, I had never thought about that, too, until you corrected me earlier, when I was like, Sherlock's a psychopath, because the, like, the route, like, the root definition of psychopath that I have known is, like, does not feel emotions, but you're right, he does empathize, so he couldn't be a true psychopath. But that's why Moriarty goes to Sherlock, because he thinks that he's like him, and when he realizes that he's a highly functioning... doesn't know how to... Moriarty like, wants to be like Sherlock? Like, no, 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 no. Moriarty is so conflicted. See, I thought Moriarty that... Moriarty is so conflicted as a character because at, at one time... He wants to beat Sherlock because he knows he's so good and has to show it and beat everyone. But I think he's trying to impress time, Sherlock by doing that. At, well, he because he wants the respect of somebody he sees yeah. as his peer. He wants to beat but Sherlock. But as soon so he can say, as he beats Sherlock, he no longer wants Sherlock's respect. Because Sherlock is him. beneath him and no longer is Pierce. So it's, it's, it's Catch-22. Like That's the one wants- place where I feel like he wants to be like Sherlock. Like, he wants to have Sherlock kill himself because he feels like that's the one thing that'll finally make him... Feel something, but then is what if next? he sees that, but then he gets to, then he gets defeated. He defeats himself in his mind. He realizes that even that wouldn't earn that respect. Yeah, yeah. it's so kind Sherlock of a, doesn't I, kill himself, and he realizes the only thing that can free me is. I don't think he's trying to impress Sherlock. I think he's trying to get Sherlock on his side. He's trying to make an impression. Yeah, on Sherlock. like why don't you see the world how I see the world? Yeah, why do you care so much about people that mean nothing? To him, the person down the street that you don't know, or the person who's down the street you do know, means nothing. Well, I mean, he's trying to impress Sherlock because of that reason. I think it's like saying the same thing, but calling it two different names. Right, so that's exactly what I was getting at, is the only reason Moriarty wants to impress Sherlock is because Moriarty sees Sherlock as his peer. But the only way for Moriarty to impress Sherlock is for Moriarty to defeat him. Once Moriarty has defeated Sherlock, they are no longer peers, and now Moriarty is empty again. It's like a double-edged sword. It's It's the only thing that... He he can't get no satisfaction. Okay, so one more quote, because I think it's really sweet. It was in the middle of a big, long thing, and I, it really stood out to me. So, oldfashionedoldbean.tumblr.com, which is a cute old fashioned Tumblr old name. Bean. They wrote, Moriarty is so interesting. When he's around, you just can't be bored. Mostly, he tries to kill you, but you know, in quite a flirty way. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't bring it. 
<laughs> My mind went Let's blank. talk about the abominable bride. Okay. Yeah. Well, so after Moriarty dies, because he shoots himself in the head, we see Andrew Scott plenty more times in the series, but we see him through Sherlock's mind palace. Sherlock using the memory of Moriarty to help him figure things out. So is it Moriarty or is it Sherlock's fantasization I of think Moriarty? That in season three and the Christmas special, The Abominable Bride, it is Moriarty, but this is Sherlock's version of Moriarty. Who so, he needs. He needs Moriarty. Yeah, so every all the Moriarty that we see from or past the end of season two is a Moriarty that is made up from Sherlock from the times that he's met him. So I think that that's really important because Sherlock is our main character. And if he's that important, then... So how he's brought up at the end of season three is Sherlock has been shot mm -hmm. and he is trying to figure out how to die. So he immediately goes into his mind palace and we see him talking to his kind of team of characters that we have that he has chosen to keep him alive. And who does he talk to first? He talks to, who's that guy that has like the strawberry blonde hair? It's not Molly. Molly's second. He talks Beyond to that. Trivia. So there's a, I, I don't know this character too well, but you see him in the first episode of the third season. He's one of the people that's theorizing on how Sherlock died. Oh, it's one of his fans. Yes, yes, yes. Is he just the fan? It's the fan that he confronts in this beginning of this season yeah. as well. Is okay. It, it's not, I, I can't remember It's not name. Anderson. I don't know his, I don't recall his name. It's the guy who came up with the closest theory, I thought. Like, who started the forum, and that's why Sherlock goes and talks yeah, to him. Yeah, no, that's the, a Anderson. Is that, that Anderson? Anderson was one of the cops that worked. He was he was basically the one that planted the seed of Sherlock being Yeah, because I knew he did something besides theorize on Sherlock's death. Yeah. So when Sherlock is being shot, he goes into his mem memory palace. He talks to Anderson. Then he switches over to Molly, and Molly is telling him what his body is going to do what he can do next like you know how to turn so that he'll he'll stay alive longer and then when his body goes into shock he switches over to Moriarty because he has to so Molly tells his memory adrenaline. his memory palace Molly tells him that he needs to stay awake and he needs to be distracted so he switches over to a Moriarty that is chained up I believe so that he can't get to him fully but Sherlock's memory palace Moriarty is taunting him and keeping him on his toes and basically Sherlock is using him to stay alive at that point because that's the I guess last resort and then I I did think it was strange I guess that when all of that happened he used those three people and he didn't use John for instance was that weird I guess in a sense maybe that's weird oh, oh wait I oh my god I just I just thought of a theory. I think it's because John always represents emotion and John is Sherlock's kind of like tether to like having emotions and seeing what compassion and love and emotions are and, and normalcy is. So maybe when Sherlock is dying, that's not something that he needs. Well, and so maybe along the same lines, that's actually a point we haven't really, we've, we've neglected Watson yeah. and that <laughs> damned, Whoops. that damned mustache. Mm -hmm. It's gotta go. I love the part of the John is story so where he sexy, finds out his... once oh, his yeah. mustache is gone. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He was pretty ugly with that mustache. Mustache was awful. Uh, but he finds out 
finds out his wife was like this whole. But so Watson is everybody. Watson is you and me and every. Maybe he's yeah. a slightly smarter than most of us, you and me and everybody else. But he's pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. He he understands the emotional side of things. He uh, ethos, pathos, logos. He's got right in the middle of all three. I do have to go. I have to get up to early tomorrow. You I have do some seminar. Okay. I have a guy from Britain here. Really? Oh. <laughs> Very good talk. I feel like we got into this guy more on like what knew, is actually sexy about him. Than I knew we had a lot else. to talk about, so yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we well, did. I think this. that was that was really good. And thanks so much for coming again. Yeah, carry on. Okay, so um, we talked about Sherlock's version of Moriarty in his head, and that's at the end of the third season. But he he brings him up again in the Abominable Bride, which we've left for the end of this episode because I feel like. It just, it did just come out this Christmas, so it is possible that people haven't seen it yet, which, Natasha, you didn't get to it, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't care that we talk about this? Go so, he comes up twice in the episode, and it is because Sherlock is going in and out of dreams, and that's because he took a drug? We don't know, and that's one of the things that's so fascinating about the episode. So, most of the critics really panned that episode. They didn't like it very much at all. What I loved about it is we never know. I mean, assumedly, since the rest of the series takes place in the present day, it must have been a dream or a drug-induced stupor or in his mind that he was back in Sherlock Holmes' real time. Yeah. But we don't know. They never canonically tell us which version is the reality, and we keep switching between it. I thought that was really wild. And that just, it blew my mind. It was awesome. It was the best thing about that episode. And people panned it because of that. People didn't like it. And I don't, I can't relate. I don't understand that. When it showed them back in the airplane, I like freaked out because <coughs> I didn't know. I didn't realize that they were going to come back to the end of season three. I thought it was just going to be a straight up like, oh, it's Sherlock's dream where they're back in like old days. So he he sees Moriarty. Well, the whole thing is kind of like in and out of a dream. So I guess it doesn't matter how he brings up Moriarty. But what I've noticed, what I noticed in Moriarty's first performance in that episode was the actor, Andrew Scott, it's like he almost forgot how to play him because his delivery and even his, I don't want to say it's not his accent. It's just the cadence and just the way that Moriarty usually speaks is not how Andrew Scott is playing him in that first scene. It's it's when he comes to him in his apartment. I think I mentioned earlier that actually one of the things that bothers me about Andrew Scott's performance of Moriarty is that everything he says is very sing-songy. Yeah. And he seemed to kind of drop that there. Yeah, he he was just talking completely different, which I thought was weird. Like, they could have done another take or something. I don't think it was written that way. I think it was a mistake somehow between the actor or editing or the director choosing that cut or something. So something else I'll just mention while we're uh, kind of talking about actors, directors, whatever. It wasn't until I was studying to host my Sherlock quiz that I learned that Mark Gaddis, the co-author of the BBC Sherlock, co-creator of the show, is Mycroft. Oh! Oh, wait, I knew that and I completely forgot. That is so awesome. I had absolutely no idea and I was studying for my Sherlock quiz and I stumbled across that and was mind blown. I love finding amazing things out and then forgetting and then finding them out all over again. It's like waking up at four and realizing you don't have to be up until ten. It's nice. (laughs) 
Well, like, oh my god, I have to tomorrow. Yeah, you just crack another beer and then, you know. <laughs> so, Natasha, since you have not seen this episode, I would like for you to know that... So, all of this Moriarty is in Sherlock's head, correct? So... His version of Moriarty continues <laughs> to have that flirty way about him. Like he still, aside from that one scene, when he's in the other uh, scenes, he basically the Moriarty that we've seen in the show. He shows up in a wedding dress and he has like makeup smeared all over his face and he he's very good looking. To me. Yeah. (laughs) So speaking of some of his real close-up good-looking scenes, we never touched on the great video that he recorded for Sherlock, that he produced for Sherlock, that Sherlock watched in the back of the taxi that he turned out to be driving. Oh, yeah. Such a good little segment. Yeah. Remind us of what that was, because I actually don't remember. So I know what you're talking about, yeah. but I don't remember. It was basically where Moriarty tells Sherlock that he's going to destroy Sherlock by completely discrediting him and ruining his yeah. <coughs> his entire image. And uh, it, it was delightfully insane. <coughs> it's just a... Really great character. We have a whole like stockpile of uh, villains that we're going to do in the future. And Moriarty is so much fun when compared to most of these other villains that we have lined up. I personally find him wildly attractive. And I know that so earlier, Eric basically did the is he hot or not when he was asking like, what do you guys find it? What do you guys find attractive? Is that a good Eric impression? (laughs) About Moriarty. (laughs) That actually, you nailed it. Thank you. Um, He got to answer, you got to answer, and then we kind of went off on our tangents. But let's do our round of is he hot or not. You say yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I will say yes because all the way around, I feel like he was specifically designed to be attractive in every way possible. And I personally just find the actor visually attractive. Oh, yeah. I, w- when we go into these podcasts, I um, I go in looking at these characters and trying to look at them in that light. Like, oh, what am I going to find attractive about them? Because I've re- this is me re-watching Sherlock. Because I knew I, I liked him before, but this time I was really looking. So when he came on the screen, everything about him was so attractive that it was like punching me in the face. And I yeah. couldn't handle it. Like, I wanted to... Exp- I, you look like you really want to say something, Jason. I like okay. him because he wasn't the boy next door. And anything that he would ever do... If you take him out of the Moriarty con- context and just look at him face on... He's not the guy next door. He's like the guy that sells weed to the guy next door. <laughs> he's totally... He has that look about him that he's not quite straight edge. Mm-hmm. Even if he did everything, like, there's something just kind of wicked about him that's really hot as well. Just appearance-wise? Face-wise. Like, he doesn't have, like, a soft face. He has these dark eyes, even though Okay, they're let's blue. go down the list before, before we get to Jason. So it's his appearance, his clothing, his, the way he does his hair, yeah. his face... Um, his voice, the way he talks with his voice, the things that he says, yeah. um, his personality, everything that he does, every single thing 
about Moriarty I find attractive. There is nothing that he has ever done or ever... There's nothing about him. There's no feature that is unattractive to me. And the, the great thing about it is... When I've read different articles about Moriarty, the over-resounding thing that every single one has said is that he has high, 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 high confidence. And that's, yes. like, such a huge part of it, too. Yes. And he, even if he's going to play the shy guy, he goes into it. Like, he's confident that he is going to portray his You mean the, char- the character? Like really kind of, like... It, when he came across, when he first met Sherlock, and he mm-hmm. was kind of yeah. like that... He went into it so well. You're not that shy. And even in that that scene, written into the TV show, in that scene, as soon as he leaves, Sherlock is like, oh, he has tinted eye shadow or something. And he has fancy underwear. And all of those things that they're talking about are like sexual things. So it's like, no matter what, Moriarty is always like a sexual thing. He's always talking about sex. It's just... It's really great for me. <laughs> he puts a gun on his tongue. Oh, yeah, in The Abominable Bride, he puts a gun in his mouth, but he basically just lays it on his tongue, and he says something about sex. I don't remember what. He's a hot dude. Uh, so, Jason. All right, so you have to realize I'm coming at this question of how attractive is Moriarty as a straight man, but I am a straight man that will say I would bang bon- Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, <laughs> Moriarty, that's the, where our question comes to. I do not find the actor to be especially attractive or unattractive. Uh, I have already mentioned so far that his sing-songy sort of way <laughs> of approaching Moriarty was a turnoff for me. It, it actually almost ruined his portrayal. But I also mentioned earlier that there was a moment where I fell in love with Moriarty, and that was the moment when he said, if you have what you say you have, I'll make you rich. If you don't, I'll make you into shoes. This is that actually... ruthlessness, that ruthlessness is so sexy to me. I like the the I owe you with the apple. And I actually thought that for a second I thought it was I eat you. And it reminded me of this really shitty movie from the 90s. 90s? 2000s called Jeepers Creepers. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah, I totally remember that. The monster's license plate says, it either says beaten you or be eaten you. And it depends on how you read it. So I, when I saw the apple, I was like, does that say I eat you? Or I owe you, like, <laughs> but it, it's yeah. it's I owe you. I so understand. I'm pretty sure that you can use Benedict Cumberbatch's cheekbones as a scalpel in surgery if necessary. <laughs> he and is a, he, Natasha yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch, hot He's or not? Tall. He has those crazy, oh, so jawline. I like guys that kind of look a little off. They look a little weird in the face, but not mm-hmm. too much. And he's, yeah. And he's so for me, that. again, being a straight man, so my opinion kind of doesn't matter on this. It matters. But for yeah. me, Benedict Cumberbatch is what I look at and say, that is a sexy man. Yeah, he is. I also think that Martin Freeman is incredibly attractive. As long as, as he John doesn't Watson have a mustache. As, oh gosh, as long yeah. as he doesn't Without have a mustache. Without the mustache. Oh, I love mustaches, so I probably would love him more. <laughs> Does anybody have any other comments? All right, I, I'll, I'll throw one more thing in. You can cut this out if it's boring. Okay. I find it fascinating. <laughs> You've talked about memory palaces. 
as featured in Sherlock. And one of the interesting things to me in that I spent some time studying the psychology of memory is the memory palace is absolutely a real thing. It's a real technique that's been used since the Greeks, you know, Aristotle and Socrates and all of them used memory palaces. And uh, so it doesn't work exactly like in Sherlock, where you mm-hmm. can almost have somebody stashed in a memory palace that you can have a chat with. The thing is, is when they were uh, going to school, essentially they'd get one slate that had all of the text that would be what we would consider a textbook written on it, and they would have to memorize everything on that slate throughout the day, and then that slate got washed off, and it was used again the next day. And so they had to come up with crazy techniques for remembering all the stuff that they were learning while they were in school. And one of the techniques they came up with is called Memory Palace. I have several. You? I have several. Okay. So... A memory palace is essentially, uh, here, let's, let's construct you a memory palace. Can you think of a locale that you are super, super familiar with? Uh, maybe a neighborhood you grew up yes. in or a, or a bar you've frequented that has lots of areas yeah. or, or something along those lines. So what you do is you just imagine walking through that bar. And when you're recording to your memory palace, what you do is you try to create really vivid imagery at each stop point of the thing you're trying to remember vividly entwined with something that just makes it memorable. Think of the most extreme thing you possibly can. The most morbid, maybe, or like the most hideous thing you can, or just something that makes it super, super memorable. You want strong visual imagery. And you place that imagery for each thing you want to remember at each stop in your trip through your memory palace. Then, when it comes time to recall these things, you just have to walk through your memory palace to each of those stops, and you'll recall that really vivid imagery that allows you to recall the thing that you wanted to remember in the first place. I can see how that's a fun thing to play with for directors and writers when they're doing... Because these are visual things, (coughs) and the only... The two other places that I've seen people do memory palaces before is um, NBC's Hannibal, and they they call it a mind palace, I think, and they do it a little bit differently than on Sherlock. And then also in the movie Dreamcatcher, Stephen King's Dreamcatcher, and that sounds more like what you're talking about. They call it a memory warehouse, and it's literally a library where this guy kind of goes in and he just has boxes with files, and he looks through his files whenever he wants to find something. Yeah, it's a real technique, and it actually really works, and you can use it yourself. I've used it plenty of times. You can remember... Somebody can give you, in fact, one of the exercises, excuse me, in our memory class, the memory class I took, one of the challenges we were given is that our instructor read 20 words, random words that we weren't predicting, and then we had to recall them. And we were supposed to do so by using a memory palace, and I don't know of any other way I could have done so. Can memory palaces work, like, right off the bat? Absolutely. I'm going to try that because I always lose stuff in my own house. So a lot of people say, I'm really bad with names. You hear that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And part of it is that, yeah, names are kind of a hard thing to remember. What it really comes down to, though, is that memorizing names is effortful. And part of the problem is we get caught up in all the things we have to do while we're supposed to be memorizing a name. Like, oh, hi, my name's Jason. Now we're going to shake hands. Now I'm paying attention to what my hand is doing and what your hand is doing. And oh, I just lost your name. You know, like there's there's just too much going on. I'm very proud of myself for remembering your name. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> there's too much going on uh, for us Literally. to focus. 
But if you decide you want to remember that name, <coughs> the best way I've found to do it is to think of somebody else with the same name and then create a vivid mental image of both the person you're meeting mm -hmm. and the other person you've thought of together. That's actually something I should try. And they're like inexorably linked at that point. Natasha, you're falling asleep? Natasha has to get up early tomorrow, and she's also very hungry. Uh, so, who are we doing next month? Cruella DeVille! Cruella DeVille from... What? 101 Dalmatians! 101? Live action! The live action 101 Dalmatians. She's shooting me <laughs> with her finger guns! They're the uh, of all the guns. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much, yeah. so much for coming onto this podcast because I feel like you saved us. I was really disappointed that I couldn't find anyone because I, I know that Sherlock is such a big thing and in the Seattle area, there's a lot of Sherlock people running around and I just wasn't able to get a hold of anybody and then you were just standing there with your microphone, so thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. This um, has been fun. Is there anywhere you want people to reach you online or does that well, no, matter here's, for you? Here's all I want. Here's all I want. I want you to come to my quizzes. Oh, yeah. I run two Geeks Who Drink quizzes. Come to any Geeks Who Drink quiz because our quizzes are awesome. But particularly if you've enjoyed listening to me talk on this podcast, you can come see me every Tuesday night at the Old Peculiar in Ballard at 7 p.m. and every Wednesday night at the Canterbury Ale House at 7 p.m. Those are beautiful oh, I bar love names. Those, I love those bars. <laughs> Both of them. Okay. Find us on the web by googling hot bad pod i figured out that if you type in hot bad pod into google you can reach our twitter account our instagram our facebook our tumblr page subscribe to us through itunes so that you know you know how itunes works and then there's always the creep corner stories <laughs> there's always our creep corner stories if you want to talk about moriarty send us your moriarty stories send us freaking anything remember the the movie weird science where they turn yeah. the bro brother into like a big pile of gross i don't know if you think that's hot send us a story and we'll read it yeah send us a story. <laughs> all right well i guess that's it it's really late we're so old it's a friday night and we're all falling asleep i'm not i don't have a job <laughs> That's right. I worked all day today, so I. Okay. Goodbye, Natasha. Get up super early. Good night, Jason. Good night. Good night, internet. Good night. Good night, moon. <laughs>